0: Remember that feeling of joy, like a spark of light, being innocent and free, like an evening breeze on a summer night, but then a slight change as the north wind blows, the shame of sin as addiction takes hold, feeling darkness close as the doors start to close. The unrelenting march of winter has won. It seems the occupation has begun, white flags, hands up, Darkness assumes the throne, but then a flicker of light in the dead of night. The opposition is nervous. They heard the wounded healer has joined the fight. Resurrection, the glimmer of his battle scars makes the night take flight. Insurrection, we're emboldened. That's why there's more of us now, right? We've been locked up, but he's set us free. We once were blind, but now we see. We no longer retreat because we've tasted and seen. And now we believe that the darkness will not overcome the light.
1: So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Lord, we've been on a journey together. And whether this is our first night or our seventh presentation, Lord, I just pray for miracles to happen in the lives of your people. I pray that we might leave here as new creations in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen and amen. Notice in John, the ninth chapter, verses three through seven, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work. The works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back. Seeing. You know, one of the things you immediately notice about Jesus is that Jesus always has time for people. My Savior always has time for people. In Luke 18, when a blind man cries out to Jesus, in Luke 18 40, it says that Jesus stopped. We need to understand something that our pain, our Our problems, our process, uh, everything that we're going through, our struggle, causes God to stop. Man, when the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment, Jesus stopped. When Nicodemus visited Jesus in the middle of the night... Jesus stopped. When Jairus's daughter needed raising and Jairus started pushing Jesus around, he allowed himself to be pushed around. You see, our needs stop God in his tracks. It moves Christ. In fact, in John 4 4, with the Samaritan woman, it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now that's amazing because no first century Jew had to pass through Samaria. In fact, you had to bypass Samaria. And yet when it comes to healing His creation, Christ can't help it. He is pulled towards your pain. He has to come to you. He has to because He loves you. Man, every time Jesus performed a miracle... He was announcing who he was and what his kingdom is all about. God's kingdom is all about healing. God's kingdom is all about resurrection power and restoration. The same God who who, um, created the earth in seven days is recreating lives tonight. Every miracle, Jesus was rebuking the enemy and the pain and the death that sin brought into the world. And he was giving glimpses of what his future kingdom would look like in its entirety. You see, Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and dreams. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, All the promises of God from all of the scriptures, from the Old Testament, from the prophets, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. You see, friends, you may have been rejected from the program, but you still have a yes in Jesus. You, have, you may have been rejected from that person, but you still have a yes in Jesus. You may have been rejected by an institution, but you are never rejected by Christ. You have a yes in Him. You may have lost the job, but you never lose Jesus' presence. Man, even when the doctors tell you no, in Christ you still have a yes. And so 1 John 3.20, even if we feel guilty, even when your own heart condemns you, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Man, you cannot judge your insides by other people's outsides. The God who made you, he, he, he adores you. And that is not based on how you feel about it. God loves you. You know, this is what is really tragic about Israel's story. You know, really, as we've looked at, the Bible is not just a big assortment of of miscellaneous morality. The Bible is one big overarching narrative of a God who loves his creation. And we see this come to a climax when Christ comes to the earth. Jesus was the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and dreams. But what is tragic about it is he came into the very world that he had created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And this is why, friends, at some point it's got to go from looking for signs to following the person of Jesus Christ. How many signs must God give you for you to finally crown Him King and Savior of your life? One of the things you quickly notice throughout all of the Gospels is how many miracles Jesus did on the Sabbath. In fact, most of the miracles that are recorded happen on the Sabbath. And this is because Jesus is telling his people that the number one thing Jesus wants in his church on the Sabbath is transformed lives. He wants to open eyes. He wants to heal hearts. He wants to set the captives free. You know, when people walk into the church or when they're around the body of Christ, they should get a little picture of what heaven is looking like. Man, withered attitudes should be removed. I mean, God needs to bring dead spiritual lives back to life. The church is called to give a clearer, fuller picture of who Christ is. When people see us, they should see Jesus. And so that's what we have here in this sign. It says that as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, whose sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Friends, this is how much people had a distorted and obscured view of God. People had such an incredible, obscured vision of God because it was commonly believed that suffering in this life was divine punishment for specific sins. And we know that sin is the reason for suffering, but it wasn't God that caused the sin. Amen? That God says an enemy has done this. Jesus gives a parable. An enemy has done this. And so this was a a teaching that was being taught by the church when Christ was on the earth, that suffering in this life was divine punishment for specific sins. Because Samson sinned with his eyes, he got his eyes plucked out. Because Absalom gloried in his hair, he got hung by his hair. It was a distorted view of who God is. It presented an image of of some angry deity who's waiting just ready to smite us when we step out of line. You see, friends, this is why good theology matters. Amen? This is why what you believe matters. Because there's a lot of bad theology out there. You see, this is why a Christ-centric view of Scripture. Man, I, have, I, I don't know how many Christless sermons I have sat through. If you do not preach Christ, do us a favor. Don't preach at all. Amen. Christ must be lifted up. You see, friends, this is why the way the church lives and loves its community matters. Because when we talk a talk in here, but we don't walk the walk out there, it gives a distorted view of who God is. We're obscuring the vision of God. When I ask people if they are a Christian, and they tell me, well, I'm trying... That is the wrong answer. (laughs) That is proof you do not understand the most basic idea of the gospel. It is not a matter of trying. We either are or we are not. There is no try. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. There is no trying to be a Christian. You either are or you aren't. Too often the way that Christians approach God reveals a very flawed understanding of His love. Like Adam and Eve, when we mess up, we run from God instead of running to Him. We talked a little bit about it last night when Peter gets out of the boat and the courage that he had to get out of the boat while the other 11 stayed on the boat. You know, sometimes in the church we... We punish failure, we punish mistakes, but it's in our failures that we learn our greatest lessons. It's, in, it's when we fall down that we can experience transformation. That's how we learn to walk on the waters of life. But too often we are impatient with people. Too often when we get into trouble, we stop praying, we, we stop studying the Word, we get a bad experience with a church, and we say, forget it, I'm, I'm done um, with, with Christianity, and too easy, to, we, we stop worshiping, but friends, the good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a very clear picture of who God is. So I don't care what that preacher said or what that person said or what that angry, bitter family member said. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals what God is all about. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Man, we are not the slaves of some tyrannical overlord. We are not the employees of some angry employer. We are children of God. You see, that's the beautiful thing about adoption. And, 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 and with adoption... Uh, the second you're adopted, you know, often one of the famous plays I, I was in an academy my freshman year. I was in the uh, play Annie, right? And and Annie is the famous story of an orphan, you know, who who gets adopted by Oliver Warbucks, you know, a multimillionaire, and you know the this really conveys the message of adoption into the family of God is. Little orphan Annie, she's, she's poor, she doesn't have any money, she doesn't have parents. But the moment Oliver Warbucks adopts her, his money becomes her money. Suddenly, his name becomes her name. Friends, you need to understand, when you are adopted into the family of God, heaven's wealth is now your wealth. And now Christ's name is your name. Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Friends, Jesus came to the earth in order to reveal God more clearly. In John 18, 37, for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And so, as we go back to our interaction with this blind man... As we return to our sixth sign leading up to the seventh sign, which we're going to talk about tomorrow morning, notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, friends, God didn't cause the blindness, but God is so amazing that he can even use the blindness to help people see. You see, friends, God didn't cause suffering and pain. Uh, God did not cause suffering and pain. When people tell you all things work together for those who love, you know, are called according to his purpose, too many times people misquote that, you know, and when they say that to people, I want to slap them. Someone's hurting, they just lost someone. All things work together for good. What that's saying is not that all things that happen are good, what it's saying is that all things, even bad things, God can turn around and use for good in his purpose just as it was said to uh, what what was meant for evil god has made for good and so that's what we're hitting on here. God's glory can still be displayed. God did not cause you to sin. God did not cause me my, my addiction. God did not make me do that. But God is so amazing that he can take our sin, he can take our addictions, he can take our bad decisions, and he can still use them for his glory. And so John 9, 5, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you want to see, it is only through the lens of Jesus Christ. The only way we can see properly is through Christ. So having said these things, he spit on the ground, he made mud with saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Check it out. Jesus is doing what he did at the original creation. He is recreating humanity from the dust of the ground. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he went and he washed and he came back seen. Friends, the only way we can ever see clearly is if Jesus touches our blurred, broken view of ourselves and of him, and then we can see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And check out the blind guy. He kept saying, that I am the man. I am he. You see, friends, Jesus wasn't just giving sight to this blind individual. He was giving sight to everyone who knew this blind man. You see, Jesus doesn't just want to change your life to change your life. God wants to change your life in order to change other people's lives. God does not just want to save you to save you. He wants to save you and then turn you into an agent of salvation. You know, when God calls Abraham, he says it very clearly. He says, I want to bless you so that you will be a... God never blesses us just to bless us. He blesses us in order for us to become a blessing. Jesus wasn't just giving sight to the blind man, but everyone who knew him. Man, when my friends and family and coworkers who knew the B.C. Richie, when they, when they met the A.D. Richie, man, they said, there's got to be a God up in heaven <laughs> because they knew what I was like. Man, they knew that they couldn't trust me, and it just didn't make any logical sense. Conversion doesn't make any logical sense. You see, when family and friends, co workers who knew the BCU get to know the ADU, you know, they see something in you, and his name is Jesus. They see you. you see, they once were blind, but now they see friends the world should get a better glimpse of god through us by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another you see this is why when you get to what has been called the high priestly prayer in john 17 it is the longest prayer recorded by G- recorded in the gospels of jesus praying he prays this prayer the night before he dies And it's important to remember that in John 17, it isn't some treatise on prayer, it's actually Jesus praying. If you want to know what is on God's heart, because I've noticed something, if you want to know the hopes and the dreams of people, listen to their prayers. And when we listen to the prayers of God, because in John 17 we hear the prayers of God, Jesus' prayer is that he keeps repeating. He repeats it over and over again. The one thing he keeps asking his Father for is, Father, make them one. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Father, I pray that they can be one as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they can also be one in us. And then the world will believe that you sent me. This is important, friends. It is our unity that points to Christ's divinity. I mean, of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, he doesn't say, Lord, keep them physically He doesn't pray, Lord, bless them financially. He doesn't say, Lord, bless them doctrinally. He doesn't say, Lord, make them better Sabbath keepers. He doesn't say, Lord, make them better tithe returners. He doesn't pray, Lord, make them better vegetarians. The greatest burden for Christ on his way to the cross is Father, make them one. They don't need better pastors. They don't need better churches. They don't need better buildings or better music or better seminars or better sermons or or, or better week of prayer speakers. They need to be better at loving people. They need to be better at loving people. Someone came up to me at the meeting um, one of the nights and they made the good observation is in the first few nights We touched on those first three steps, which often the principles and some of the essence of those steps keep repeating. But he made the comment that, you know, there's eight presentations in 12 steps. The 12th step, I want to share that with you because this is a message to the church. After you've worked through the steps and you get to step 12, and remember, they're in order for a reason. It says, having had a spiritual awakening, having opened our eyes so that now we can see. Having experienced a, a resurrection, as having had a spiritual awakening awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to addicts and to practice these principles in all our affairs. It's other focused. Friends, the church has to become other focused. You see, our unity is the greatest proof of Jesus' divinity. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become one, perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Friends, if our love for each other, is our love for each other helping the world see God clearer, I want to just be honest. Sometimes I'll see some of the posts on Facebook and I just cringe. Friends, remember, people are watching. Are the things you're saying helping people see God more clearly? Is the way that you are loving people out in the world helping people see God more clearly? Is our love for each other Helping the world see God clearer. Conversion is a miracle. And and the thing about a miracle is people always notice miracles. People will ask you, just as they ask this blind man, they'll say, how in the world were your eyes opened? Friends, we should live the kind of lives that cause people to ask questions like this. Are you living the kind of life that causes people to ask questions? And I'm talking about in a good way. In a good way. Are you known for what you are for in Christ or for what you're against? First Peter 3.15, it says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Man, we can testify when people come to us. We can say, man, I'll tell you who. It's the man called Jesus. You see, friends, this is why the early church grew. Acts 4.13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Man, the early church turned the world upside down, not because it had better preachers or better theologians. Man, the disciples were a bunch of rascals. And yet when people looked at them, they saw Jesus. Man, everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd surrounding him. And they were a rough group of people, man. The people surrounding Jesus were the the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the hillbillies and the hotheads and the dopeheads. The poor people, the broken people, the ones in the world's eyes that that people say are weak, fools, even mad. But they are the ones that believe in a miracle because they know it's going to take a miracle in order to save them. They may be the laughing stock of the world, but they are becoming the children of God. God can use anyone who knows they need him. He can't use anyone who thinks they're okay. Have you noticed that the people always running towards Jesus in the Bible are dead set on running away from the church today? they don't want to have anything to do with it. And and, and when you really get down to it, the reason is, is because it's, if we're really honest, it's not a safe place for people to get honest about their struggle. It is not a place where people can share what they're going through and and, and share what they're struggling with. It is not a safe place place it's getting maybe a little safer in some ways but man this needs to become a safe place you see I was the son of a preacher and a pastor and I grew up in a great family and my my, my parents man they 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 always shared the gospel and the love of God and so I didn't grow up with an overbearing overly religious type of situation it was very positive positive. But yet when I needed to get clean, the church was not the first place on the block for me. Because I knew that they had no idea what I was going through. And if they did, they wouldn't tell me. See, that's the beauty of recovery. It's the therapeutic value of one addict helping another. Church, man, the therapeutic value of one sinner helping another is without parallel. And what happens is in recovery, when you hear someone getting honest, when you hear someone getting vulnerable, when you hear someone sharing their struggle, suddenly you're thinking, man, if God got a hold of them, God can get a hold of me. But too often we walk in and we act like everything's fine with our fake plastic smile and our happy Sabbaths. (laughs) If we're honest, the reason often people don't run, the people that ran to Jesus are running from the church is because it's not a safe place to run. In Luke 5, when Peter first encounters Christ after the very first miraculous catch, check it out. Luke 5 eight. but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, "'Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord.'" When he first encounters Christ, he doesn't know if Jesus is going to be a safe place, and he witnesses this incredible miracle, and he knows he doesn't measure up, and so he says, "'Depart from me, I am a sinner.'" But check it out, I love this. In John 21, Peter's final encounter with Christ, after the last miraculous catch, notice how he responds this time. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea of God's grace. He ran to Jesus. What made the difference? He knows that Christ is a safe place to run to. We need to be a safe place for people to run to. God loves you just, no, yes, God loves you just where you are, and he loves you too much to leave you that way. But friends, people got to have a starting point. And remember, transformation is a process of a lifetime. I've had people come up to me and, you know, Someone's still struggling with with something smoking or something, and they say, Well, Pastor, God gave me victory over smoking overnight. Well, praise the Lord for you. But it took me over a year of struggling. I mean, I was I'd put it on the altar and I'd take it back. I'd put it on the altar, I'd take it back. You do know the the the, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. I'd throw the cigarettes out in the trash, and I'd be digging for them. But I kept surrendering it to God. And I remember at one point, early in recovery, I, my, uh, you know, my dad, I shared this. My dad told me to get back to church. I said, man, I'm still struggling with smoke. And he's like, Richie, the church is for you, man. And so I did, and hallelujah, God gave me that victory. You see, transformation is a process. We need to be a safe place for people to run to, because when we're because when we are the, the natural response of people is where is this man Jesus? How can I find him? You see, the more we let Jesus change us and heal us, people will want what they see in us, which is Jesus. And so they brought uh, to the, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. You know, a miracle has just taken place, and so they want to take him to church on the Sabbath because that's where miracles should be celebrated. But what's tragic is that instead of a celebration, the miracle is met with suspicion. So the Pharisees again asked him, how had he received sight? And he said to him, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath too often i have i have seen new people met with suspicion instead of a celebration and too often we do what the pharisees did we turn the celebration into an interrogation well pastor did you go over this with them Pastor, have you covered that yet? Have you done that? Have you, you know, you know, as Adventists, we like to go over the all 28 fundamental beliefs within the first 28 seconds of meeting someone. We want to mess up their diet and tell them that their family ain't up in heaven. We, I mean, we just like to chop them wings right off. One of my professors here from Andrews says, "Be gentle when you clip people's wings." Amen. Amen. Yes. I. Hey, friends, I have not been to a church that has a a more beautiful message of the gospel than this church, and I I love this church with all of my heart, and it's because I love this church that I speak out for this. But friends, we've got to meet people where they are and be patient. Someone who... Has been blind their whole life, can see, and they're worried about someone making mud. It's just like the paralyzed man that we talked about at Bethesda. Someone who hasn't walked in 38 years is walking, and they keep bringing up the bed, but he's walking. Pastor, they're still smoking, but they're healing. Yeah, but Pastor, they're still wearing this and wearing But they're in the church. Yeah, but Pastor, they had an affair. Yeah, and you have a big mouth. <laughs> and we still let you come to church. <laughs> Friends, this is what I'm getting at. The Sabbath is all about healing. It's all about rest. It is all about miracle. It is not about legalism and earning your way to heaven. Man, in six days, God did all the work of creation. He he creates humanity on the sixth day. And the first thing he has humanity do on the seventh day is rest in his finished work. He's like, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to enjoy my creation and likewise Christ Jesus does all the work of saving us passion week on the sixth day he says it is finished and rests in the grave so that we can rest in the finished work on the cross man the Sabbath is a beautiful message of love and grace it is a message of healing and recovery and freedom You see, when we focus on what people are or are not doing, what we think they should be doing, we miss the miracle of what God is doing right there. Man, someone who was blind their whole life can see. There is only one appropriate answer for that. Hallelujah! You see, friends, Jesus can turn water into wine. The dude's a wave walker. He can fix eyes, he can fix legs, he can fix ears, you name it, and Jesus can fix it, but he cannot fix pride. They are blinded by their pride. You see, friends, Jesus didn't need the mat to heal the paralytic. He did not need the mud to heal the blind. But here we have the Lord of the Sabbath wanting to reveal what what God and His Sabbath is all about. It's about miracles. It's about celebration. It's about transformation. It's about resurrection. This miracle wasn't just to open the eyes of the blind man. This miracle was to open the blinds. Of the religious leaders. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, that when I work this miracle in him, this sixth miracle, as I am on my way to Calvary to give my life for you, maybe if I do this, you will see. Unfortunately, the interrogation keeps going back and forth. The Pharisees hear it from the town citizens and then they hear it from the guy's parents. They, then they hear it from the guy himself twice and, and they still can't see it. And This is the irony. Someone blind from birth can see but the religious leaders can't see. And finally, the guy responds, look, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You see, friends, there is no greater miracle than the miracle of a changed life. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing to you. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes Man, I've been blind since birth. I don't even know what a tree looks like, but I can recognize Christ. I could see better blind than you can see with 20-20 vision. And they answered him, you were born in other sin. What would you teach us? And they cast him out. Friends, the enemy has done everything he can to obscure people's vision of God and to cover us in darkness. At the beginning of this chapter, we have a blind man by the side of the road. Darkness is all he's ever known, just like at creation. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Don't you see? This is what just happened to this blind man, and God wants to do the same thing in our life. God wants you to see his love for you clearer. God wants you to see his gospel more clearly. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. But can you see it tonight? Friends, many people did not see Jesus because he did not meet their expectations. They were expecting the ruler of the rules. They were expecting the regulator of the regulations. They were expecting the pontiff of the pontifications. But God sent the embodiment of Himself, his own son. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, you've got to look at Jesus. Jesus heard what they had cast him out, and check this out. I love this scene. He doesn't leave the guy cast out of the temple. The true and better temple tracks him down and finds him. It is the story of the gospel. Christianity is not about us working our way to God. It is about God working his way to us. They kicked him out of the temple so the real temple comes so that he can worship in spirit and truth. (laughs) Do you believe in the Son of Man, he answered. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You see, friends, your actions and your love can either cause someone to believe in God or to reject him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. Friends, on Calvary, Christ stepped into your darkness so that he can say, let there be light in your life right now. Man, but you got to let him touch your life. you got to let him heal your sight. you got to let the scales of pride and bitterness fall off. You've got to let him cast out the chaos of selfishness. And you've got to let him be the light in your loneliness. Friends, there is much in this life that we do not understand. But if you stick with Jesus, the darkness will never overcome you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Man, I remember hearing this as a young boy and basically being told by my Sabbath school teacher, you know, that basically, and and I, I heard it other places, that Jesus had gone to heaven to build our home and once he was done with our home, he'd come back and get us. And I remember thinking, like in my eight-year-old, nine-year-old mind, what in the world is taking Jesus so long? I mean, the guy says, let there be light, and there's light. He created the world in six days. He, he, he redeemed and conquered death in three days. He can walk on water. But then you read 2 Peter 3, 9, and it says that the Lord is not slow about his promise. As some think of slowness, but is, patient toward, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And suddenly, friends, it hits you. Man, we've never been waiting on God. God has been waiting on us. God is waiting on us to love each other like we should. Because how in the world can he give us heaven for eternity with each other and we can't get along for five minutes with each other? How in the world can God have every nation, kindred, tongue together around the throne when we still have racism and prejudice? How can God give us heaven if we cannot love? We've never been waiting on God. God has been waiting on us. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, I know the King James Version says many mansions, but the Greek is many rooms. There are many rooms because, you see, there are many people. Christ has a room for every single one of us. Don't you dare forfeit your room. God's house is that heavenly sanctuary. It's the temple. And the interesting thing about every other religion is that the temples were always filled with the images of the gods that they worshipped. The temple of Zeus was filled with images of Zeus. The temple of Buddha was filled with with, with images of Buddha. Hindu temples filled with images of their gods. Every other religion, their temples are filled with the icons, the images of the gods they worship. But for Israel, this was strictly forbidden. Exodus 24, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of God. Do you know why? It's because, friends, in Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see, the reason images were strictly forbidden for Israel and for us is because the only thing God has made in his image that he wants to fill his temple with is his icons, his images, you and me. Don't you see, friends, God is waiting to fill his temple But we've got to love like God loves. We've got to look like God. We've never been waiting for God. God in His infinite mercy has been waiting for us. Hallelujah, friends. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not, and cannot overcome it.
0: Thank you for listening to The Darkness Will Not Overcome, a production of Pioneer Memorial Church in collaboration with Andrews University Center for Faith Engagement. To learn more about Pioneer Memorial Church, visit pmchurch.org. If you or someone you know would like to talk to someone about a mental health or substance abuse issue, please call the National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us again in the future for another Pioneer podcast.